So if you are following along, we're on Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is on page uh, 881, uh, begins Lord's Day 23. So we'll look at those three questions today, 59, 60, and 61. So why don't we begin by reading those together. Uh, I'll ask the question and ask that you guys respond uh, with the answer. But how does it help you now that you believe all this? That I am righteous through Christ before God, and the heir of my life's resurrection. How are you righteous before God? Only by faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith alone, you are righteous. All right. Uh, so, as we come to question fifty nine. Uh, the Catechism asks how it helps you now that you believe all this. What is the all this that the Catechism is referring to? The Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Yeah, the Apostles' Creed, right? That's what's in view. The past 32 questions have uh, been concerned with explaining the Apostles' Creed in question and answer as it took uh, different parts of the Creed and went through it. And really, question 59 is asking, so what? <laughs> so what if you believe this? Right? What does it mean now that you believe all these things uh, that we've talked about in the Apostles' Creed. Now, if we think about what the Creed has been about, uh, you know, it, it's talking about uh, what is true faith in the Lord, believing what has been declared, right? Who God is, um, what He's done, and then what that means. Uh, for those who believe, think of uh, a verse like John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Or later on in 
the Gospel of John, John 6, 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So this, uh, this answer here talks about, talks about a righteousness that the one who believes has before God. That I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to eternal life. What does that mean? What is that what is this righteousness that is being talked about in the question? Yeah, yeah, the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. And now you're getting way ahead of me, but that's, that's a good answer. <laughs> right? It's, it's the righteousness that grants to the one with faith standing before God. Right? And thereby makes one an heir to eternal life. Now think about something like uh, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Of God. I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to eternal life. And question 60 then asks, well, how is that the case? How is it that sinners are righteous before a holy God? And the answer, right? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. True faith. So there's a distinction already being made there, right? Between true faith and implied false faith. And true faith is what's being uh, explained as question 60 uh, is answered, right? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, and that true faith is explained in the course of the question that comes to us. Now, how are you righteous before God? Only by true faith. Does that make faith a work? Yeah. David. Yes. So, so... Because faith is not and faith is, uh, is not, it's, would, it, would it be more correct to say, forgive me if I should be at We got stones, we'll go out back, that's fine. <laughs> that God has placed his love on me, and the evidence of that is that I've received the gift of faith. Faith is the evidence that God that God is for me. It's given me that faith and belief. Am I pushing the pushing it too far to say it that way? No, I don't think you're pushing it. Because uh, but we'll we'll 
Well, I want to try and I want to try and make sure that we're defining our terms well so that we're not being confused about what the nature of faith is and how that relates to good works and all of those kinds of things so that we speak in a way that is true to how scripture speaks right not i'm not saying that you're speaking out of accord with scripture in any way but so yeah 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 i was gonna say i think it's a good point because as we say faith is a culture now culture is work. if only i had enough faith i would so you're right culture would say that yeah using meaning words yeah our understanding is not because i think it's something like uh hebrews 11 now faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? It's it's the target. So it's not like doing something, it's the faith is the target. Okay. So you're right, the culture says one thing, we use kind of term that way, but scripture The scripture the scripture needs to define our terms, yes. right? Yeah. Now we need to, to recognize immediately here when when uh, the answer says only by true faith in Jesus Christ that we're not saying that faith is somehow meriting righteousness because that I mean the answer is going to go on and, and clearly show us that we're not meriting anything in our faith uh, but really an improper understanding of the nature of faith of true faith in particular uh, could lead someone to think that faith is a type of meritorious work uh, I think that comes across sometimes in some uh, particular ways that the gospel is presented. Uh, there is a certain way in which faith becomes, you know, God did this, now you offer your thing here. And whether people are meaning that or not, it can be misconstrued and be a differentiating thing between you know this person and this person like well why didn't you have faith like i had faith right and in that way it becomes something that we have conjured up in ourselves that makes us acceptable to god well what do you need to have uh eternal life well i need to have faith and that faith is something that i produced in myself right that's that's where that could lead us in a wrong direction Right. It's through faith. It's the instrument of our righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's take a few minutes to look at question sixty and see how the catechism defines this true faith in Jesus Christ. So true faith, we see, even initially, recognizes and acknowledges that we have nothing to commend ourselves to God. Right? It begins, really, with a lack of commendation for ourselves. All, all we see here is that even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commands of never having kept any one of them, right? Any scriptures uh, tell you that? Yeah. Isaiah 46 runs through our mind. God calls us far from righteous. Mm -hmm. But then he says right after that, but I will bring my righteousness and bring it to Zion and put my salvation in Zion. 
yeah, yeah. We see that righteousness comes from God to us. Romans, oh yeah, go ahead. David. Oh, okay, yeah. So Romans uh, 3.10, right? Something as simple as these few words. None is righteous. No, not one. Go ahead, David. Push back here. Push. Okay. Through faith. Faith is the evidence. This is how I know that God's grace is on me. If it's, not, if, it's my sake, if it's my faith that's saving me, well then when my faith wavers, you know, I'm in danger. Yeah. Are you quibbling with the wording of this catechism? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, be that as I think I think as we go out as we go through this answer in the next one and particularly as we go into uh, the next Lord's Day Lord's Day 24 those questions become uh, uh, clarified um, as we go through because I, I think you're right I think that that there is a misunderstanding that can come about when we talk about faith as being you know we're saved by faith. Sometimes we, we use that in the wrong kind of way uh, that isn't correct. Yeah. So I'll, I'll meet you there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, we're not, we're not saved by anything. We're not saved by any grace. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. So I don't think you can separate any of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a quick story. I, had, I once had a, a guy come up to me um, because I, I was talking about the importance of church membership. And um, he said, well, that's not one of the solas of the Reformation. As if all that we need to believe as Christians is the solas of the Reformation. As if that's the entirety of it, right? The solas are, are, are a helpful summary of, of reformed uh, uh, doctrine and understanding of the nature of how we receive God's grace. But that's not all of it. That's not the entirety of what Scripture says about everything that has to do with life and godliness and faith in Christ, is it? So we have that danger that we can use these kind of, and I don't mean to to say that the solas are bumper stickers, but we do have this danger of reducing these kind of, you know, well, I'm saved by faith. We reduce them and we start thinking about them in a way that they're not connected with the rest of what scripture teaches, right? It's not connected with the whole counsel of God that needs to be all interwoven together in the way that we understand what the Lord has uh, has revealed to us in the scriptures, right? And, and I think that, you know, you could, David, like you're saying, you could, you could come off in that kind of direction if you look at these things in isolation, right? All right. Now, the catechism answer goes on to say, um, not only that beginning part there, my conscience accuses me, never keeping any of God's commands, but also... 
um, I am still, uh, and of still being inclined to all evil. And in that sense, rather than being a source of commendation for us, faith actually recognizes that we have nothing to offer positively to the Lord. Faith recognizes that we of ourselves have nothing but sin, both in our guilt and in our corruption, right? Our guilt from transgressing God's law and the corruption of our nature that tells us we cannot look to ourselves for hope of eternal life. And that's an important part of true faith, right? That we would be convinced of our sin and misery and therefore have empty hands. We're not offering up our faith as something that is uh, a work in that regard, right? Instead, faith causes us to look away from ourselves and to find in another the security of salvation that is indeed secured for our, us by someone outside of ourselves and obviously, particularly, Jesus, right? And that's an important thing to recognize about faith. Faith isn't me commending myself. Faith is recognition that I have nothing and I am helpless and I am hopeless apart from God acting on my behalf. You see how that switches what the nature of faith is? Right? This is where that, but God, right? This is the, the Isaiah 46, right? But God of the good news comes to bear when we have nothing. So that true faith acknowledges that we receive and come by the grace of God, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where the catechism goes, right? Nevertheless, you see that statement there? Nevertheless, without any merit of my own. Okay? Nevertheless, without any merit coming from myself out of sheer grace. Right, that's, that's that but God. You see down in uh, footnote 4 there, Titus 3 uh, is referenced. Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of, our God, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 2.8, which has already been referenced, right? For grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. The next verse? Yeah. The next verse is not as a result of works. Lest any, lest any man should boast. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's important. I mean, it's getting at what you were yeah. mentioning, right? That how is faith not... Not a meritorious work, right? And so, what then is the gift there referred to in Ephesians two eight? Is it faith? Is faith the gift, or, or is grace the gift, or, or is it everything that came before it that's the gift? Yeah, the answer is yes, right? 
The answer is yes. It all, all the entirety of the work of redemption is a gift. And that's what Paul is getting at when he's saying these words in Ephesians 2. That gift we see in those verses is a, is a gift given by the person and work of Jesus. See, it's not faith that saves us, again. Faith does not reconcile us to God. Jesus does that. Jesus reconciles us to God, and we receive him as the source of our righteousness, and that is received by faith. Right? Again, some people talk about faith in this kind of generic sense. Just have faith. If you just believe, you know, it's remarkable in all the Christmas movies, <laughs> right? How, uh, how, much like, uh, how much like God Santa is, right? If only you believe in his magic. If only you believe, right? Like, uh, kids, we better shut this off. <laughs> I don't know about this one. We're ascribing things to Santa that maybe we shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, but faith in Christ believes something very specific. Right? It's, it's not generic at all. Faith is very, very specific. True faith knows that Christ is the source of our righteousness and the source of eternal life. And I mean, I feel like I'm repeating myself from the things that I've said already this morning and even some of the things that David has already said this morning, right? The gospel is not that the Lord reduces his righteous demands for perfect, perpetual, exact, and entire obedience to his law. Is that what our faith does? God sees our faith and he reduces the demands of the law. So no longer does anybody need to keep those. He just welcomes us in. No, rather the good news tells us that Christ lived that perfect, sinless life and gifts to us that righteousness. Right? The gospel is not that the Lord overlooks our treason against him. right? But rather that Christ bore our sins. Our guilt and our punishment was laid upon him as our substitute. Right? God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. So that true faith then knows the all-sufficiency of Christ's work for us. So think about those terms there. God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner and as if I had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. Now as we look at that particular clause there, we see that this answer, uh, a doctrine called double imputation. Anybody know what double imputation is? No. David, you can't answer. I was just I know. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the, the two parts of that, right? Because it's separate by the and, right? The first one is the... Because you always hear the idea of justification as just as if I had not sinned. Mm -hmm. It just takes away the first part, but never leaves the and part. That would just leave me neutral. How right. How do actually live? Like, the and, yeah. the, the, the kind of... That's how positive Christ lived. Right. Right, there's both a, a negative side and a positive side, right? What is positively required for eternal life? What, is, what does God demand that one would 
enter into eternal life. Yeah, perfect, personal, exact, entire, total, and you could go on and on and on, right? That was what was held out to Adam in the garden, right? That had he exactly, perpetually, uh, continually, and exactly, whatever, had he always obeyed, right? It wasn't just, hey, obey one command for three minutes. It was, you need to obey the entirety of my law, and life is held out for you. Did anybody obey the law of God perfectly, perpetually, exactly, and entirely? Was it you? No. It was Jesus. Jesus alone fulfilled the righteous requirement of God's law. And part of imputation, right? part of what God reckons to us in Christ's satisfaction is... Jesus' righteous obedience, right? So we, in our standing before God, are positively declared to be righteous. Not just that we're declared to be not guilty, but we are declared to be righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone, right? Now, what must negatively be dealt with? Right? There's a double imputation. What must negatively be dealt with that we all have, that the catechism question already said is part of what it means to be fallen in Adam? Sin. Original sin, too. Right? Guilt and corruption. Both those things. Right? We're guilty of Adam's sin and guilty of our own sin, too. And our whole natures are corrupt. And so we continue to sin. And our nature can't help but sin if we're an unbeliever. I'm making that caveat there. So that when we say that we're saved by faith and not by works, you can put it on a bumper sticker, but it's not entirely true. Now don't come at me and try to stone me. But it's not entirely true that we are saved by faith and not by works. See, we are saved by faith and not by our works, but we are in fact saved by works. So when somebody asks you, are you saved by faith or saved by works? You say, I am saved by works, but they're not my works, (laughs) right? Those works aren't ours. The works that we are saved by are the work of Christ, those works that are imputed, reckoned to us by God because of Christ's satisfaction for us. And it's given as a gift, right? It's not actually ours in terms of possessing it. We don't own that righteousness except that it has been placed upon us by our Lord out of his sheer grace. And we receive it by faith alone. We don't receive it by faith and a commingling of faith and works. We receive it by faith. And that's the grounds of our standing before our God. Okay. There's an important distinction to make here. And I don't know how interested you're going to be. But it's an important distinction because this is the distinction that makes all the difference. 
of justification by faith. So Christ's righteousness, which we have already said, is the grounds of our justification, is imputed to us. What does imputed mean? Does it mean it's transferred to us? Credited to us. What if it was transferred to us? What if it was infused within us? What would happen? We'd be Roman Catholics if it was infused into us. Like, that's an important distinction there, right? So, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me the chance. <laughs> yeah. I understand what you just said. You said if grace was infused to us rather than just credit to us, we would be Roman Catholics. Yes. What? Okay, we'll make some more we'll make some more categories in a second. But okay. Yes. If it's if it's what did you say? If it's it, oh infused or transferred to us. Ray. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Alright, so here we go. Um and I want to make sure I get this right because I want I don't want to be a heretic this morning. All right, so the Roman Catholic doctrine of justification says that we receive the righteousness of Christ by God's grace infused to us. So if you ask, perhaps, a Roman Catholic, does, God, does God's grace save you? They will say yes and amen. God's grace is what saves me. But the question is, well, well, how does that happen? And see, what happens in Roman Catholic theology is that the grounds of the judicial decree, uh, the ju judicial declaration of righteousness, that's what we're talking about. What doctrine are we talking about? We're talking about justification, aren't we? So God declaring us righteous, right? When in Roman Catholic theology does God declare someone righteous? Anybody know? Hmm? When they're justified. When are you justified? Yeah. So when the work of God's grace has so been infused into you that you are actually in your actions and in your thoughts and words and deeds actually righteous. And so it is by grace in the sense that that God is gifting you with this infused righteousness, but the basis of that declaration of your righteousness is, in fact, upon your works. Albeit works that we would say, that they would say that God is working in you, but it is actually, tangibly, the works that you are doing that become the grounds of Justification, And so there's a collapsing there of two categories. The category of the judicial, so justification, and the category of the renovative, the actual work of God to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus, which we call sanctification. And so in Roman Catholic theology, those things are collapsed. Now, Jack asked me a question 
when I was here about the difference between Reformed and Lutheran theology. And one of those differences comes down right here. Because in Lutheran theology, rather than collapsing justification and sanctification, justification and sanctification are pushed far away from each other. So that actually, in your, your judicial de declaration that you're righteous by God becomes the overarching principle through which filters down your sanctification. So they become something that's distinct, right? In Roman Catholic theology, they're merged together. And now we get to walk that middle way as Reformed Christians and say, wait a second, no, 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 no. We are saved by our Lord Jesus Christ and he has purchased everything for us of our salvation, both in terms of our judicial declaration of being righteous, right? By his work imputed to us and our sin imputed to him. And that's how we're accepted before God. But salvation doesn't end there that's not the only benefit that jesus gives us he also not only declares that we are righteous he also makes us righteous and holy and pure by the work of his spirit in us to work and to do right but is the grounds of god looking at us and welcoming us as his children is that grounds based on that work of the Spirit that we would do good works, or is it based upon Christ's imputed righteousness and his satisfaction for our sin? Right, exactly. Exactly. Any questions? Yeah, Sarah. So, do Catholics believe then that justification doesn't happen until souls from purgatory? Because I think many of them argue that they're, they're not perfectly infused until after that process. Well, think about saints, right? They're saints. They're, I mean, we talk about, we call one another saints because we're saints. We're sanctified. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. And so we can call each other saints. In Roman Catholic theology, that's different. There's only certain people who are saints properly because, in fact, they have reached a certain point in their Christian walk that they can be called saints. Yeah, go ahead, David. Yeah, it's helpful to realize in Roman Catholicism that uh, the sacraments actually uh, do create moments in your life where you're completely sanctified. So they would argue that you're you were justified in your baptism unless somehow you presented an obstacle, you were completely pure before God. And then when you actually sin, you're in a sense falling from your justification. But that's the whole doctrine of uh, penance is the second plank of salvation for those who make shipwreck <laughs> of their justification. Yeah. Uh, this is also the case if, if they made a good confession before a priest. When they walk out of the confessional, they are justified because they are completely sanctified until they sin. So the complex answer is justification happens over and over again for them rather than just one time. Yeah, exactly. So it's not a once for all moment of declaration that remains the same but something that you're continually doing and that's why it's so important to be at church and to receive the Eucharist 
Because in that moment, the Lord is actually giving you the actual grace that you need. Yeah, go ahead, sir. So, sorry, follow-up question. What would they call that thing that you need to have done first in order to have those moments of justification? Is that just baptism? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I have another question. I thought you were going somewhere different from the Catholic explanation, but I just want to make sure. Um, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church is not saying that, because um, you took issue with saying that Christ's righteousness is laid upon you. I agree, it's credited to you. Yeah. From me. But it's not actually laid upon you. My understanding was that once, if it's laid upon you, you can't even sin. Because if you, if you literally have Christ's righteousness, you become, you're not capable of sin. Am I not understanding that? Okay, well, so I said we can't use the word infused. In, no, 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 no. Infused when we talk about justification. But in fact, the larger catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, uses the word infused when it talks about our sanctification. Because, in fact, there is an infusion as the Spirit of God works in us that which Jesus purchased. Because he did purchase the entirety of our salvation. He, he purchased our sanctification, and sometimes we don't think about that. But his perfect righteousness purchases our growth in grace. And so that as we receive Christ by faith and walk in his ways, we are actually given deposits of his grace at work in us. So that, that's why we talk about becoming more like Jesus. Because Jesus is actually giving to himself to us in our good works. Now, we know the limits there, right? In this life, that our works are always mixed and imperfect. But one day, we will be made perfect. And we will actually walk in the way that Jesus walks. Not just judicially, but actually having been renovated, right? Sin won't be a thing anymore for us. And we'll love his law and we'll walk in it perfectly, perpetually, exactly, and obediently. Yeah? So, like, the really important sense of being able to have assurance of our salvation, which the Roman Catholics cannot have, right? Yeah. They have to keep coming back and doing this, but what you're saying is this, um, once we begin with saying we, we continue to grow, right? He who began a good work on us will be faithful and bring it to completion. Yeah. Right? And so we, that, that is a huge distinction of having assurance of our salvation. Yeah. It most, it most certainly is. Yeah. Now, I had all kinds of other things, but we're getting towards the end, as per usual. But let me just, let's just look at one uh, passage that we already looked at. But I think that should be helpful in this, uh, in this discussion. So Ephesians 2, 8 and following. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now most people stop right there. But what happens if you go down, if you keep going into verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wait, which is it? 
We see those two categories sitting right there in what Paul says in Ephesians. Right? So this isn't like, we're not pulling these things out of the sky and it's not some theological web that we're trying to weave. But it's in the scriptures. Right? We're not saved by our works in terms of being justified before God. But we are saved for good works. Right? And those things aren't in conflict. Right? Justification, sanctification, all the benefits, they're not in, in conflict one, with one another. They're just distinct, but they're inseparable benefits that we receive in union with our risen Lord. Okay, am I done here? Yeah, I think so. Any, uh, any questions? Oh, can I just give you one thing? I was doing some, I was doing some looking uh, in the Catholic catechism, and Alyssa thought I was going to become a Roman Catholic when she saw my computer, but I assured her that's not the case. Um, so the Catholic Catechism quotes from the Council of Trent and says, and this is, uh, may be helpful for us, justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. So right there in the answer, there's a collapsing of those two things. So I'm not just making these things up. Yeah. Sorry, not, not to kind of rail on it. I know it's somewhat confusing. I think one thing that we overlook is the Catholic theology is also built on a particular extra biblical understandable that comes out together in Aristotle. It's yeah. the idea that there's this line between nature where we are and grace is just God. So that line goes back and forth. So God's grace, in their view, goes down. So it depends on what you're saying is it would come down and fuse into us, but then we would lose it and it kind of goes back. Yeah. So you keep pushing that onto everything. You're then constantly twisting around, but that's like the underpinning always. Yeah. Looking at that, so it kind of no, that, that's exactly like, right. That's really, I think that's really helpful. If I don't agree with that, then I don't see the scriptures that way. But yeah. You do, you kind of force a lot of stuff. That's, yeah. Like I said, I kind of question where. Wait a second. You get that from other than extra biblical way of looking. Yeah. So. No, that's really helpful. Any other questions? Yeah. I like the way <clears throat> the Westminster Confession works. Relation to faith and works. In chapter 11 on justification, paragraph 2. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead day the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Faith without works is Yeah. And that's exactly where. Uh, the, the Heidelberg continues to go. Question 61. You know, why do you say that through faith alone you're righteous, right? But then it's going to go on and talk about good works and make sure that we have a correct understanding of how those things interact with one another in the life of the believer. Any other questions? John, yeah. I, I, I just have a a little like story <laughs> about a week ago, we had our little labor girl at our presentation before because things had come up because what keeps asking her to go to church or we talk to her about church. But um, she came to me and she she said, Rookie said a bad word. I said, what did you know, what did she say? <laughs> you know, she's like, she said a bad Well, I, what's the opposite? 
And that's why we can't be satisfied when somebody just says, oh yeah, I have faith. I believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Is it, does that match what the scriptures say are, is true faith? And that's why, I mean, catechisms like this are so helpful. Because it, it distills those things down for us uh, to be able to understand, yeah, what is the nature of true faith? What is the nature of living faith and, and dead faith? being able to, yeah, in, in a, an apologetic way like that, to be able to explain those things and offer Jesus as he is actually offered uh, in the gospel. Yeah. Thanks, John. I'm getting the nod that there can't be any more questions and we have to be done with this. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, thank you for the time that we were able to uh, be together Uh, Lord, thank you for these dear saints uh, who care deeply for your word, who desire to know and walk in your ways. Oh, Lord, would you continue to teach us, grow us, uh, Lord, that we would know Christ uh, more fully, that he would be beautiful to us. Lord, that we would rest in the surety of all that he has purchased for us. We ask in his name.